How you doing, ladies and gentlemen? Corey Bosman here, person that runs the social media football page on Facebook, Twitter, known as Football Kentucky DBA. Today's guest is Drew Diener of 93.9 Louisville ESPN. How you doing today, Drew? Hey, how's it going? So how did you come about getting into radio? And what was that journey like for you? It's funny. I tell people all the time, my job didn't exist when I was in college. You know, I mean, I... Uh... I, when I, I guess ESPN radio started when I was about a sophomore at Transy there, and there weren't talk shows. There was one guy in Lexington that had a show on WLAP, Scott Masteller, and he had that maybe my senior year. And I was like, well, this is pretty cool. What's this? It's sports radio. I'd done TV. I went and worked at a TV station in Hazard. I don't know, about two, three years later, uh, Alan Cutler asked me to fill in for him uh, on a radio show. A sports talk show. And I was like, well, what's that? <laughs> so, you know, he talked yeah. about sports for three hours. And I said, well, I, I can do that for sure. That's a job. So, uh, and then got a full-time gig there. And that was, I was probably about, say, 25, 26 years old. So that had been 96, 97, something like that. So, yeah, I mean, my job really didn't even, barely existed when I was coming out of school. Now, once you, once you got that, where you're at now with it, was that your main goal in, or, you know, your, your end result? Or did you just like, I'm just going to go along for the ride and whatever happens, happens? Yeah, I wanted to work in sports and the only jobs were in local television, really. And then, you know, I got into uh, radio doing the show there in Lexington from uh, four to seven with Criss Cross. And I really learned a lot from him on the air, but I was learning a lot the whole time because he was the sales manager and he always wanted me to sell for him, but I would never, I just didn't think I was much of a salesperson. But I just kind of watched and observed what he did and didn't really think anything of it. And then, you know, years later, I got into doing some of the sales. I realized I was learning a whole lot by osmosis, basically. But no, like you couldn't shoot for, I would never have thought I could have ended up up here. Because um, again, it, was, it didn't even really exist uh, growing yeah. up. But it's but I've been caught, made some good relationships, caught some breaks along the way. It's, been, it's great where I am now, but I could never have roadmapped it. That's for sure. How did the idea first come about of 93.9 being exclusive for all Louisville sports and how long did getting that deal done actually take because a lot of people still don't know that yeah it, it you know it was boy it's a it's a long story UofL kind of came to us oh gosh after after I'd been at the station about a year and said hey we'd really like to get a UofL themed station even you know they they have one they weren't you know weren't thrilled I guess they could save stations that came to us with uh, their current their current partner at that time. And we just, you know, it's pretty unusual to do it, to do this, to have an, two sports channels and one of them be themed toward one team or whatever. But, you know, right away we got the baseball contract when we're laying the groundwork on a daily basis with all of our shows to at least be in the hunt whenever the radio rights were going to come up, which they did, you know, um, well, we got them a couple. This is our second year of, of uh, being the official broadcast partner. But yeah, that was um, that was probably about a year after I, I left 790 to come to uh, work for ESPN Louisville. Now, I remember listening to it actually on that day on the radio. Um, I, I'm just curious how much and how many mimosas did you and Mark Blakenbaker have that day in celebration? <laughs> well, I don't know how many, uh, how many he had. It was really, it was a great partnership with um, another radio group. I mean, uh, Dugan yeah. Ryan, Troy miles tom fallbush like you don't you don't have different radio groups come together to form a partnership who are also the stations are independently owned most stations are owned by big corporations um we knew it needed two. you had to have two strong radio stations yeah. to get the rights. So there's just too much programming if you're going to carry women's basketball coaches shows uh baseball and we, and we wanted to give them that was going to be our big push to give 
you know, if, if there's no other game that night, then the women's game's going on both channels uh, or the baseball game or whatever the case may be. And so that was a big part of our push, you know, in our, in our, um, in our proposal. Uh, but really it was, I mean, that was a day that it was the guys that were all in on our text chain um, that were the key, key members of it that put together a new radio statewide network. Uh, well, added some others, kept some others and, um, and put the bid together because it was a definitely a group group effort of two stations that are not even close to being owned by the same people. Now let, let's talk about the time slot you you and Mark share on this show. Y'all have seven to ten, correct? That's it. Yep, seven, every morning. So a lot of people don't realize. People think that part of my French, but it's proverbially easy as shit. It's really <laughs> not as easy as people think. Time and effort in crafting and perfecting what you what you do for a living makes it look easy to the naked eye. But for the novice people out there, tell them just how really not easy it actually is. People don't understand how much pressure you have truly on yourself on a daily basis to have enough content for three hours or airplay. It, it is and it isn't. I don't, I don't want to overstate it, but I don't want to understate it. I mean, I think everybody's got a week of radio in them, right? I think anybody who's never had a talk show has probably got opinions. Yeah. They wanted to get out there. They could do radio for a week. But it, it does get to a point it's more of the building process. The, the long hours, I mean, when I would get up at 5 a.m., you know, th- those days, th- that that was when I first started having to get up. I had to work a lot harder earlier on just to develop the contacts that I have now. I mean, to try to get a Pat 40 on maybe early in my career, I'd have to email, follow up. Now I just text Pat, you know, Tuesday night. Hey, you good tomorrow? 9 5, boom, done. Whereas that would have been, who knows how you know long of a, a job yeah. to try to get a phone number, do all that. So, on some levels it is, and on some levels it isn't, because I don't want to, now the alarm's more like 545, and probably everybody's up by then who has any sort of normal job with kids my age. So what's your thoughts on the job that Jeff Brom has been able to accomplish in just his first year? Now, before you give your answer, I want to add just a little bit more context to that. A lot of people say anybody can, given their schedule, but at the end of the day, still got to play the damn game. Like it, it's well, not as easy as people think. I mean, the over under was what eight and a half, something like that. I so I mean, so. Vegas is generally good at that. I will. I predicted eleven and one to start the year. I'm on the record of saying that because I anybody could say ten. And, I mean, I really kind of thought it might be near ten and two, but anybody can say ten and two. Um, so I went on the record with eleven and one. So I'm not. I'm not that surprised because I saw what he did at Purdue. And I saw how bad they were when when it when it got there. Like it was yeah. when you you look up look at the records. All you got to do is go back and check. They'd won three conference games in four years combined, and he won four his first year. I I thought this is I really thought this is where they'd be because I had people that were you know much closer to the program telling me that had been close to both programs say this is more talented than any team he had at Purdue. People were saying that this summer. So. I thought I thought he'd do great. You know, eleven and one was probably adding one. Who knows? They may end up ten and two. I don't know, but I got, I got a chance. I guess I'm live with that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I really started hearing over the summer. Look, there's there's a lot of depth on the defense. There's a lot of uh, names that may not people may not recognize that are good players that are on the roster. So I know this is what, what he's always wanted to do. So honestly, about what I what I thought he'd do because I because I had such you know, respect for him and the job that I know he, he does coaching football. Speaking of Purdue, you, you just brought that up by uh, giving your answer to the question. A lot of people diminish what he accomplished at Purdue. And I, I guess those that diminish are novice sports fans or novice to the idea of how much work a head coach actually has to put in to doing something like building a program, like take away the record prior to him being there other than Drew Brees, name a successful football season. You can't. And and look at him now. I mean, what do they got, three wins this year, something like that? The implicate, the dumbest stat that ever got quoted is like, well, he's only two games over 500 at Purdue. It's like, it's like saying being two games over 500 at Bandy is the same as being two games over 500 at Auburn. Like it's not – 
those aren't equitable. Like they don't, you know, if you go two games over 500 Vandy, you've made history. Um, and, and really, again, look at the record prior, look at the record so far after. That's all I would say. Now, let's stay on Jeff Brown before we get into a couple more other topics. Given the landscape of today's game, there's going to be a lot of people coming and clamoring for Jeff Brown, given Texas A&M and then given the coaching carousel that's going to happen after this year's concluded. How much and how hard do you think the effort is for Louisville and Josh Hurd and athletic department to maintain Jeff? I'm not saying Jeff's going to leave. I'm not trying to put that in the air. But that's something you honestly have to consider given his success his first year. He ain't going anywhere. <laughs> I'll tell you that. Right, he's going right, to get right. paid here. Um, and, you know, he's already – but well, when he, when he gets to – if he gets to 10 wins, he gets a two-year extension on his contract. He's already earned one um, on it. And I don't know if anybody's even um, Freedom of Information Act of that, but I, I know that for a fact that he gets to 10. He gets two more added on. Yeah, th- he's going to be making more money for sure, but this is where he wants to be. I think it's where he's always wanted to be. And he's not a guy you're going to be able to just impress with money because that's just not, I mean, it's just not who he is. So I just, I think this is, I know this is where he wants to be. Case in point, a man not impressed with money. I don't know if it was your show or Maven's show one day last week. They were, somebody was talking about how somebody had a chance to have lunch with Jeff Brown and they were excited. That was Maven's show. Then, yeah. It was rummaging. And then Jeff's like, how, Jeff said, how's Arby's sound? <laughs> And he had a cup too, right? He had like a refill cup or something there. I think something like that. Yeah. Yeah. How important do you think is it for a university and a fan base like Louisville to have a man like Jeff Brom? Not because he's from here, but because he obviously money doesn't impress them as it does most coaches. Yeah. I mean, this is where in the era where you're going to have revenue gaps between schools, you got to get somebody who cares more. And I don't think you could ever pay somebody to care as much as Jeff cares about this. And that, and that I mean, you could get whoever you want. Nick Saban, you may say maybe a better football coach. He'll never care about Louisville football the way Jeff Brom cares about Louisville football. So to me, that's that's the difference, and that's why he's the perfect guy for the job here. Um, and I think it's going to be a long run. Now, I want to switch gears here and get into basketball. I, by all means, I want you to tell me if I'm wrong with saying this, and I have no problem being wrong. I've been married for 10 years. I'm wrong a lot. <laughs> Do you feel Kenny Payne and Jeff Brom were both emotional hires to a degree? Well, I think Jeff was an easy one. I mean, Jeff wanted the job. He'd wanted the job for a couple of years. You know, that that deal got done, you know, it would have gotten done sooner if his agent wasn't out in L.A. Uh, with his other client with the Rams. Uh, might have gotten done a day earlier. So that one wasn't emo- – that was easy and that was practical. Uh, I, I don't – I'm not as involved with the, the – the, was involved with the Kenny Payne, but it seemed like it was preordained that they were going to get, you know, get him because it, it seemed to have pedigree, pedigree, you know, and – Sometimes it, and, and maybe that pedigree translates more in football because you're, I don't know, in charge of one half of the team than it does in basketball. Yeah. I don't know. It seemed like it was preordained for a while that it was going to be him. But nobody really, I mean, I shouldn't say nobody. It was a very small amount of people who had much of a quarrel with it. Yeah. Now, me personally, I never heard about Kenny Payne being talked about getting the job until Denny Crump spoke the words in favor of Kenny Payne that he did. Do you think he still would have been hired had Coach Crumb the legend? Not have spoken those words. I'm not sure which when that happened. I just know I don't think that had much influence. I mean, I don't remember that being influenced yeah. on. I just remember every big booster and every person connected, you know, that knows anybody was like, it's got to be campaign. Like they, it just seemed like it was preordained um, that they'd made up their mind. And and I know people that went to New York and had met with him, you know, that were acting on behalf of the university. And it was, he was really, it, it seemed like a one man search. 
it's obvious that this season so far is starting off kind of how last season did. If it continues on the same trajectory, at what point in the season do you feel that they may potentially cut ties or do they suffer through another four win, 10 win season and then let them go? I mean, it's tough to say. I mean, again, we're a couple of games in, but, but I mean, what you do have is an athletic director who has proven if something's not going well and he doesn't think it's going to continue has made a move mid season, you know, he did that with Chris Mack. So I'm not saying that that, you know, necessarily where we're headed, although it's too many games like the other night, you certainly wouldn't be a surprise to see it, but I think you've got an athletic director who will, will know when, if it is the time. I don't think it's now, but I think you have somebody in charge who has, has, has done it before. Right. Now, speaking of Josh, Josh has done a great job since he's been there. He's got to feel, he's got to feel the pressure. Oh yeah. You're, you're an athletic <laughs> director. You're always feeling pressure. I mean, um, yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that's there. I mean, there's economic pressure for the city, frankly, to be, you know, I was down there at the game, um, the UMBC game. And went down, and you know, there, there's three bartenders down in one of the you know downstairs bars, and there was no customers. Like he trickles down even to that. So you know, aside from the fact all the empty seats that are, that are there, that even if they're paid for, you still need people to come down and pay for parking and, and concessions and restaurants. And yeah, I mean, yeah, there's definitely economic pressure. It's a simple, simple to feel. What's your thoughts on the officiating from that Duke in North Carolina game this past weekend? I'd love to say I was able to stay awake to see it, but I'd been with a friend of mine who just buzzed in there uh, from Clemson. Um, and I was at that game. You know, when you go to a game there, it's like going to a game at Georgia or any small town. You, you're, you're staying two, three hours after. So by the time we got home and I'd made it to the fourth quarter, I considered it a win. So I, all I, I really <laughs> haven't – all I saw was the, 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 the guard that was, you know, halfway down the end zone. But um, I, I can't say I saw the, much past that. So I didn't see all the things that everybody was howling about the next morning. You know, my, my thing about it is it, it's 2023 and you're going to be 2024. We're still dealing with issues with officials that we did umpteen years ago. For me or, or for a Louisville fan out there, like, that's got to make you kind of uneasy heading into the important game that Saturday is against Miami. I don't know. I mean, the end of the Louisville game, Storm Duck ripped the guy's head off or, you know, arm off and they didn't call pass interference on the fourth down play. So I'm not, I don't think this is the week to complain about ACC officials if you're Louisville because that way that game ended on Thursday. Uh, it, that that was a good whistle. So I wasn't going to, um, you know, try to go to bat too much for, for anything that happened in that game since, hey, Louisville got out with a, with a, maybe a call at the end. Speaking of football, other than the obvious people that have stood out the most, like Gelati and emergence of Garendo, Devin Neal, who was somebody on the team in your eyes that has made a lot of noise but hasn't really got any recognition? Gosh, I was going to say Garendo until you said it there. I'm, I'm still waiting for Kevin Coleman to break out. I think he's, you know, I think he's yeah. going to be a really, really good player. And that's what I'm looking for. And then, you know, everybody's, you know, complaining about, you know, Jack Plummer's nine and one, you know, and has led a couple of, you know, second half comebacks. And while everybody is, you know, oh, this guy, that guy. I mean, I think one thing that it shows you, Jeff Brom has had total faith in him and it's, and it's paid off. Um, so while he's not been perfect, he has led a couple of second half comebacks, actually three NC State, you know, um, when they were down double digits at halftime to be nine and one. So I think it's one of those where he, look, he's, he's, he's not going to go down as, as Teddy Bridgewater, but he's nine and one in the ACC and they got a chance to play in the ACC championship game. Right. You know, that's, that's one thing what people forget about out there is being a quarterback, majority part of your job is to be a manager. You're the head coach on that field. And like you said, he's nine and one. If yeah. if that's bad, <laughs> you need to pick another team or, or another yeah. sport to watch. Yeah. I mean, I, I just think he is could, could have been better in in the uh 
you know, he can't turn the ball over like he did in the Pittsburgh game. I mean, if he if not do that, the rest of the team is good enough that they don't ask him to be be perfect. What was it like having your child, man, your son? And um, what's it like being a parent in your eyes? I always ask personal questions like that. I always like yeah. getting a different perspective. Well, it's funny. The audience has grown up with my son. Like when I was first he's starting. He's 16 now, right? Be 16 next month. I've been doing radio about 15 years, I think. So far. And so the audience has grown up and they've heard me talking about being the dad of a one-year-old, two-year-old, a teenager. And it really hit him at Derby a few years ago when he went to his first one with me that all these people were like, hey, Max, what's up? And he was like, how do these people know me? I'm like, well, you know, <laughs> I talk about you on the show. And so, yeah, that, that's been kind of the cool part for so many people to know so much about him. It just it went just again, that derby was just like the line in the sand where it's just funny. How do these how do these people know me? You know, and he uh, but he, he couldn't give two hoots about most sports. He loves UFC. It's about it. <laughs> you know, uh, he, he likes going to uh, the foot. The football games now a little bit, but you know, I don't know that he could name more than two players out there because it's not his thing. He'd rather be playing with his friends or you know watching some UFC short on Instagram or YouTube or whatever. And staying on, staying on your son, how much is your son being here and stuff like that? How much of a factor for your success has he been? Because once you have something to live for other than yourself, that's a huge driving factor. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I've only got one. I've only got the one, you know, so the people that, that have two and three and four and are putting them through private schools, I'm like, man, I don't know. What do you guys have a gold mine in your backyard? Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's always motivating um, and to try and, I don't know, just, to just not um, yeah, to have him to worry about anything, you know, for him. And that's just kind of, so he's, he never has. So that's that, you know, I think that's the biggest. One of the biggest motivating things for me is that he's he doesn't feel uh, any any guilt, any pressure, any you know this is just life, and he can just you know be who he wants to be. So, you know, I think I think that's probably the most motivating part to be able to have him grow up however he wants to grow up. What's the hardest thing you've ever had to overcome in your life? Had it pretty easy, man. <laughs> you know, I mean, I lucked out in college. My fraternity brother's dad was the general manager of the TV station. You know, I, I was, there's 13 guys in my pledge class. One of them's dad's the general manager of the TV station. It got me my first five jobs. I think, I think there was a little uncertainty. I, I, I left Lexington when, when we had at that point. I just felt like I would find one. Um, and luckily, Duke and Ryan actually called me and said, hey, you want to fill in on an afternoon show? And then a couple months later, um, you know, there was an opening and me and John L. Smith did a show together. So I'd love to tell you there was some great moment of adversity, but I, I count my blessings that I've had a pretty good, pretty good go of it. I'm just fortunate enough to meet the right person at the right time who owns our radio station, Chad Boger in Kansas City, you know, gave me the opportunity to you know, run a station, run my own show, freedom to go out and put a proposal in, get the U of L rights on a radio station that is not a 50,000 watt station, has not been around forever. So I mean, my dad calls it dumb dean or luck. I guess that's it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. He's always called it that. And my son's starting to pick up on that now. And something, you know, crazy, lucky, good happens to him. He just goes, DDL, dumb being a luck. Who, who in your eyes, since you've worked in and around UofL athletics and sports, who in your eyes, coaching-wise, has been one of the most undeserving to be a head coach for Louisville? Oh, gosh. Like, I, I guess football, basketball? To, yeah. Between those two, I mean, limited to them two sports. I mean, I don't know. I, I still think they've all been deserving. I feel like, you know, Kenny Payne had, had worked enough years as an assistant, had been at the right places, been in the NBA. And Chris Mack had worked enough places, certainly Rick Pitino. Um, Charlie Strong had been an assistant forever. I wasn't really around. I mean, Cragthorpe seemed to be somebody, everybody. I think I think everybody you get, it gets higher. I don't think it's by accident. It just doesn't, past performances aren't always indicative of future results. 
if they were hiring would be easy. I, you know, it's it's just one that it it seems to me it, it should have had the pedigree, should have worked. But I mean, right now it's not on the basketball side. I mean, obviously this is the least successful of any of the coaches that have ever been hired in those sports. But yeah, I don't know. I wish there was a magic formula for it. If you could give one piece of advice out there to anybody about life, what would it be and why? Well, I would give this advice to the younger generation, my son's generation as well. And everybody always, you know, bemoans, oh, this generation is this or that. And then and this next generation coming out of college is not lazy at all. They're not lazy. They, you give them something to do, by God, they do it. But there's zero opportunistic nature in, in the, like the young kids I talk to, the college kids. It's like, and I've even had this with my son. Like, hey, you, you want to do something in this, this line of work. Hey, I know someone there. We'll get their number. You know, like I just, there, there's, I think that is just, you know, stealing every single opportunity you can to get ahead and not just, hey, everybody, here's the roadmap, here's the classes you take. But hey, if Jimmy's cousin is a, you know, general manager at a TV station or something like that, get in touch with him, ask for the number, follow up, because I think it takes so little to stand out. And I've told my son this of, of, of that generation, because again, there's no, I don't see any laziness at all, but I see zero opportunistic nature in that, in that. And so I would say any, if you see a, you know, a door even cracked open, kick the door down. I mean, there's no, there's no roadmap from transit, don't even have a broadcast degree. Uh, to get, you know, to end up in radio and TV for a career, which is what I've done. But anytime it was like, it was like, do we have a radio station here on campus? Ah, yeah. So do they ever, does anybody call the games? Oh, no, no, no. So I went over to the PR office and said, can I go to Radio Shack back when that was around and get a couple of headsets? Yeah, sure. Here, take the credit card. You know, but nobody was going to go say, hey, is anybody out there who wants to do the radio for yeah. Pransy? That's what we'll see. Just be opportunistic. You know, just when you, you know, pretend, pretend that it's a race and everything you, you want to get for a job because you got to be aggressive and hungry. And I don't think you're going against too many people that aren't aggressive and, and hungry. Again, talking to that of a younger generation, I fight this battle with, with, my, with my son. It's not a fight a battle, it's overstating it. But, you know, hey, I'm interested in that. Okay. Or, or it's like Dan McDonald says, are you interested or are you committed? Because if you're committed, you're going to go, you know, talk to two or three people who can get you, you know, whatever it is you want to do. And I don't think most people do that these days. They don't. 